The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Northern Ireland became the focus of the world's media again in recent weeks with the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Despite impressive performances by past and present leaders, Northern politics remains in a state of political stalemate as the DUP continues to consider the Windsor framework. But how has all of this deliberation and stalemate affected the DUP's support? Well, to talk about the future of the main Unionist Party and indeed the future of Northern Ireland politics is Katie Hayward, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University, Belfast. Katie, good morning and welcome. Thanks for having me on, Pat. I wanted to talk to you about the Northern Ireland Life and Times survey because there's some very interesting uh, findings there. And I suppose the first one is that, by and large, almost half the people say, Good Friday Agreement, way to go. Yes, absolutely. So seven out of ten of voters still think that the Northern Ireland Life and Times, sorry, that the Good Friday Agreement remains the best basis for governing Northern Ireland. However, what we have seen in recent times is a rise in the number of people who say it needs some reform. So now we're seeing 55% of people saying, yes, it's good, but it needs some change. And and quite clearly, uh, the rise of the Alliance Party would give uh, great cause for reform because they're in no man's land, no woman's land, no person's land. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what we notice in particular when we ask people well, what would you like to see reformed? Um, top of the list of um, priorities is having a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland and restoring the Civic Forum, which you may remember existed in the in the beginning. And then people start talking about things that help um, the political system better reflect the diversity of the population. Um, and those are things that we know Alliance Party have been championing. So um, changing the requirements for cross-community votes in the Assembly on key decisions to have equal representation for those who don't designate as nationalist or yeah. unionist. Now, the, the, if that reform was brought in, then we have a situation where you've got a big block of uh, uh, unionists. Uh, you've got the DUP and the Ulster Unionist Party and the TUV. You've also on the national side got Sinn Féin and you've got the SDLP and in the middle you've got the alliance. So the, the possibility of various alliances coming together to form a government in a conventional way um, becomes possible. Yes, so at the moment, as you know, we have to have mandatory coalitions. So the makeup of the executive is meant to reflect the seat distribution in the Assembly. This too only has support of a minority of people in Northern Ireland. Um, And that's partly because I think there's a frustration that we end up um, so frequently in a situation where one or other of the two largest parties, unionist or nationalist, can effectively prevent the Assembly and executive from functioning, which of course is the situation that we've had for four out of the last six years. And and because uh, if you don't have an executive and the assembly is not meeting, people begin to ask, what's the point? Well, precisely. So at the moment, the headline news from Northern Ireland is about um, cuts to essential services as a result of the stomach crisis. So the, we're going to have a budget um, introduced by the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and some departments in Northern Ireland are expecting cuts of 20%. Now, there is suspicion that this is used primarily sort of seeing seeing Northern Ireland as collateral damage for the indecision or refusal of politicians to take up their seats. I think more generally in Northern Ireland, um, the functioning assembly and executive aren't things that are just important for the delivery of public services. Democracy is the alternative to political violence, right? So we we were reminded of this very particularly last week. Um, the politicians um, committed to democratic and peaceful means as a as a way of resolving mm-hmm. political differences. If we don't have those democratic means, what is the alternative? Now, obviously, Sinn Féin make a, a lot of noise about a border poll, but uh, the information that has come from polling already, um, which is representative samples and so on, is the majority of people still 
want to stay within the United Kingdom. They do so most reliable. In fact, it doesn't really matter what method you use. It's around 47% or so say that they want Northern Ireland to remain in the UK. However, now that doesn't mean that 53% want <laughs> out. It's it's a lesser number who want a unification of the island. Yes, so there's a big portion of don't knows. Um, and they're going to be crucial, of course, in any border poll. But we have seen growing support for unification. And the Northern Ireland Life and Times survey is really interesting on this. Um, it is one that is known to sort of reflect the uh, the general percentage of the pop- general population at large. And so it doesn't really exaggerate mm-hmm. support for Irish unification. What we've seen is support for Irish unity double uh, just um, uh, since 2015. Yeah, it's so gone now, from 14% to 31%. Yeah. And uh, the the opposite has happened in terms of uh, the uh, remaining in the UK. And this is the challenge for the DUP. And in fact, it was put there quite bluntly by the Secretary of State last week. Um, he's saying the alternative to unification is functioning devolution, right? We don't see a rise in support for direct rule. Um, the Assembly and the Executive basically are the we- means by which Northern Ireland will stay in the Union. Um, now, support for the Assembly and Executive as being the long-term future for Northern Ireland has declined since 2016 from 54% um, down to 38%. That's a huge drop. Huge drop. Um, and this is a challenge. So the DUP, I think every unionist knows, every unionist knows by, for the most part anyway, that the Assembly and Executive are necessary to secure Northern Ireland's place in the Union, but this is the challenge back to the so DUP. So tease out uh, exactly what's happening in the DUP. You you have people who might be more extreme and who might find another political home uh, to the right of the DUP, uh, and then there are others. Would they go back to the UUP or would they move to the Alliance? So we saw in the last in the May assembly elections last year, we did see the DUP lose votes to the traditional unionist voice, um, and uh, that was a bit of a shock to them. Um, and we know that their policy since the DUP's policy has been essentially to try and claim those back. Now the tactic it took on this was having an extremely hard line on the protocol, and this was reflected then in its boycott of the um, executive and refusal, indeed, to nominate a speaker that will allow the Assembly to sit. So this has been its tactic. The flip side for the DUP is, yes, it has support amongst its base for its stance on the protocol by and large, um, but what it's doing in terms of boycotting the Assembly is potentially losing its um, votes as Do well. Do we know um, what fraction there might be of DUP support that would say uh, no to becoming Deputy First Minister uh, that would uh, say no to the Windsor framework and therefore in saying no we're out of here and then are there those who would encourage the DUP to accept the Windsor framework and go back into the executive as deputy first minister and and what are those fractions? Well that's the question isn't it we're trying to I think the the UK and the EU are trying to come up with a magic formula with the Windsor framework so they were very much listening to the DUP's concerns um I mean, the fact that it's called the Windsor Framework, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> well it was signed in Windsor, but also yes. the House of Windsor, it has a kind of a, a royalist feeling to it. I mean, it. it was very deliberately done, and it was very much with an eye to, to the unionist vote and unionist concerns, um, and they did what they could in that respect. We know that the DUP has said it's not enough, so the UK government is going to do something more. Um, we don't know exactly what that will be. Um, no doubt it's going to try and reassure the DUP, though, on some of those more ephemeral fronts relating to sovereignty, for example, Northern Ireland's place in the UK internal market. Will that be enough then for the DUP leadership to say, 
to its base. Um, okay, we're going to enter talks now about restoring power sharing. Nobody expects that really to happen before the local elections in May. What impact will their stance have on their local election results? This will be the test. So obviously, when the DUP went to the um, uh, uh, electorate last May, in its manifesto, it was very hard against the protocol, but it certainly didn't say we won't allow the Assembly to function and we'll continue, we'll boycott the executive altogether. It wasn't saying that. So that hasn't been tested with the electorate. Interestingly, in the polling that we're seeing, um, it's it's clear that women in particular are across at the DUP um, for, for this stance because it is having a, a real impact, particularly on the most vulnerable in society. Um, so it'll be interesting to see in the, those elections. I mean, there's always a tendency to overread into these elections things about the bigger unionist, nationalist, um, constitutional questions. Of course, in local elections, people are voting about other things as well, mm, um, sure. bins and parks, etc. So you have to allow for that. However, when they're going to the polls, I mean, it will be a test for um, the popularity of the DUP stance, and it will be bringing that back mm. then into the decisions that it makes about going now, back into power sharing. We know that uh, both Geoffrey Donaldson and Arlene Foster are migrants from the UUP, um, and, you know, they took their chances, I suppose, and profited from those uh, taking that political risk and moving from the UUP. Uh, to what extent is there a cohort in the DUP who will lose patience and return home if that's where they came from? Because the DUP grew dramatically, so they got to get the support from somewhere, and it must have been from the UUP. How many of them might migrate back? Do you know, that's really not, that really doesn't come up. And that what's really quite interesting is how the UUP doesn't seem to be gaining from the DUP's um, troubles. So where we saw um, the shifts in the last election, it was losing votes to the TUV and the Alliance Party, as you mentioned. So the moderates gains. are not going back to the UUP, they're going to the Alliance. Yes, it doesn't really seem that the UUP gained. Now, obviously, Doug Beattie, um, as the leader of the UUP, has been very strongly um, critical of the DUP for its stance in you know preventing the assembly and executive from functioning um, and this lo- these local elections will be a test for the UUP support mm. it hasn't been doing terribly well and it's it's very difficult for unionist parties um, especially UUP you know it's trying to it has some younger supporters quite prominent um, candidates um, quite well known ones for their liberal views but at the same time it has to keep its eye on the older conservative view yeah. as well. I, I presume it's easier to tweak all of that in local elections where you have a lot of councillors uh, who can put themselves forward on very specific things locally that will mm-hmm. get them elected but when it comes to the, the general election uh, you've got to have broad brushstrokes in terms of uh, your policies. Uh, finally what about Arlene? <laughs> And what she did in, in, you know, slagging off Joe Biden and saying he hated the UK. Um, I mean, it was remarkable because it seemed to be a bit tone deaf given the circumstances. I mean, it's very significant. She was saying that on GB News and that's a particular audience. And she was yeah, playing you, up you, to that audience. You I can't play narrow when it's available broadly. Yes. You know, it's not like uh, tweeting to your followers. No, it was it. And it was unfortunate. 
Um, um, one thing that was notable last week in the um, events around Agreement 25 was that Jeffrey Donaldson was also quite absent, certainly from the public events. Um, so they, they are treading carefully. There was great suspicion of what the um, American visitors might say. And of course, it is uncomfortable for people like Eileen and, and, and Jeffrey Donaldson who left the UUP yeah. in protest at the Good Friday Agreement. This is a celebration of that agreement. Um, and they were very critical of some of the comments that have been made, including by the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. However, we know that people like them, particularly Jeffrey Donaldson, I mean, they do recognise the importance of the Assembly and Executive. And I think they know that a decision has to be made sooner rather than later. Well, politicians can turn themselves inside out and do all the somersaults when you think of uh, the late Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness, the mm-hmm. Chuckle Brothers. I mean, who had ever would have thought? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so miracles can happen and we may yet get, you know, First Minister Michelle O'Neill um, and uh, Deputy First Minister uh, from the DUP. Katie Hayward, uh, Professor of Political Sociology at Queen's University in Belfast. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.